Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we have a great guest for you all today. We have Tom Piccolo of the Talking Knicks podcast. And Gavin, we decided after a weird place to be after a three game win streak, but we decided to tackle three big questions facing the Knicks going forward the rest of the season. Yeah, Alex, we get into Tom Thibodeau. Is he the right coach for the Knicks' future? Julius Randle, should the Knicks plan around him when, when they're looking at the long term? And then what our biggest narrative is around the team for the rest of the season? And we all had the exact same answer, but I won't spoil it for you. You can find out right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. And this episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions you don't want or need and can even negotiate better deals on those you want to keep. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcast, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And we are joined today by a very special guest. We have Tom Piccolo, like the Dragon Ball Z villain slash anti-hero. <laughs> Uh, as we as we always confirm before the show, and uh, he is the co-host of the Talking Knicks podcast, also one of the best Twitter follows for film breakdowns after games, during games, whatever the case may be, and also their Talking Knicks Twitter handle. You guys share a lot of good videos and stuff during the game as well. Tom, how are you doing? How's everything treating you uh, at this? I don't know what are we at now? Roughly third point of the season. Uh, how you doing, man? Hey guys, I'm doing well. No, appreciate you having me on. And yeah, I, I do like the anti-hero persona. I might have to kind of <laughs> adopt more of that on on Twitter at least. But uh, no, I'm I'm doing well. You know, we're, we're coming off a a pretty strange game last night. But uh, you know, I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know how the anti-hero thing would work for you. I don't know if you got the the edge to you. You're too much of a sweetie, man. I don't. I don't know if you could bring this out. Um, yeah, but at right. any, <laughs> at any rate, yes, as you noted, you know, we're coming off a weird game. We're on a very weird three game win streak ride here with the Knicks <laughs> where we should be feeling happy, but instead most people are feeling frustrated thanks to the nature of the last two wins against two very depleted teams. Uh, and, and the fact that the Knicks could barely keep their head above water against said teams. And so we decided to ask three big questions in this episode. Uh, and they're mostly forward looking questions that, you wouldn't think would be coming about during a three-game win streak, but it, it all has to do with the the nature of how things are going during these wins right now that, as we said last night, feel kind of more like losses. So our first big question, and I'll just throw it right to you, Tom, to open us up. Is Tom Thibodeau capable of taking this team to the next level? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I know a lot of people are are crushing Tibbs right now specifically for his kind of minutes allocation for for Julius Randle versus Obi Toppin. I think that's kind of been the main thing. Um, You know, we saw last night in Detroit that Tibbs really stuck with the the starting unit throughout much of that third quarter when they were going on that huge run. Um, And uh, but to his credit, he brought in Tibbs brought in the reserves and uh, and stuck with them through the entire fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, brought us that win. And I think that's kind of that's – a, that's a good sign in my book. Like, I'll start by saying I'm not out on Tibbs like some people are. Uh, Alex, I saw your, your Twitter feed last night was was pretty pretty harsh uh, in general on, on the whole team. And, and I don't blame you. Like, in, in the moment, that third quarter was about as low as I've been. But I, I just think that, you know, Tibbs has shown some capacity for change and flexibility, whether that's – you know, removing Kemba from the starting lineup, was that the right move? I don't think it was, but it, it did show kind of this this initiative to, to make big changes. And we've also seen him, you know, bench guys who are considered staples. You know, we've seen him bench R.J. Barrett in fourth quarters. We've seen him bench Evan Fournier in fourth quarters in favor of guys who have it going. And I think the only blind spot that people really point to most consistently is this randall Obi minutes distribution thing. But overall, is, is Tibbs capable of taking this team to the next level? I think he is. I think you know, we've seen young guys develop underneath him. Um, I, I, there does seem to be some mutual respect between the players and the coaching staff. And, and I'll just say, I really don't think that coaches win championships. Like if you would have asked Milwaukee about Mike Budenholzer, I think a lot of Bucks fans would have wanted him out. And, you know, it, it's so much more of a player-driven league at this point that – um, you know, if you get Tibbs the right personnel, I do think he's a good enough coach to win a championship. This roster specifically, I think, does bring out some of his blind spots. And, and I think that's where a lot of the conversation comes from. Yeah, I mean, that, that was literally the point, Tom, that I made on the podcast last night. If you threw Tibbs in place of Steve Nash on the net, so they probably winning the championship. Yeah, you throw him in the Bucks. Yeah. Throw in the Warriors, maybe not, because maybe Steve Kerr is the coach to leverage the Warriors and, and tips. That would that would be kind of weird. But I, I think it's a it's a valid point. I think the question for me more so is, is he the right fit for this roster? And, and, and to your point, there seem to be some there's some stuff there. Right. I mean, like the OB and Randall thing in particular and just the idea that I think he's very committed to establishing continuity with certain units at the expense of in-game flexibility at points. And I always, I always go back and forth on that because I think it's something that, again, if, if you're coaching a team with final aspirations, there's some real validity in that. If you're more so looking for what you are as a team and, and in particular um, trying to develop young talent, uh, then, then maybe you coach a little bit differently. And I think a lot of times it's just um, it's kind of incongruous, like what, what fans want, what Tibbs wants, maybe what the front office wants. It's 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 hard to know from an outside perspective if those two things, I mean, particularly the front office and Tibbs, if their visions are lining up. But I guess that's that's sort of my question, and I'll, I'll circle it back to you, Alex. It all sort of comes down to what should the Knicks' goal be, and and to me that that kind of answers your question of whether or not Tibbs is the right coach. Yeah, and I guess that's the that's sort of the rub too, right? Like, you know, so so Tom, I see what you're saying about the being able to make a, some adjustments, and you know, I I did. You know, I I don't remember if I noticed on Twitter last night, but I think I noted it in last night's show. Like he has, he has had the ability to, uh, you know, bench a guy like Fournier down the stretch of a game, or you know, benching Kemba was a big move. 
I, I do think most of it comes down to Randall this year. And I guess that's sort of where I'm sort of reaching my sticking point with whether I think, you know, getting to the, the grand scheme of things with this question of if Tibbs can take the team to the next level. Um, you know, obviously, like Gavin, to your point that you just made, you know, I, I actually don't think that playing the young guys and, uh, you know, playing the young guys versus playing the vets and, and all that sort of thing is a, a like a separate question from what's the best thing to win, because I think it's pretty obvious that playing the young guys is the most likely thing to lead to a win right now, particularly against these younger teams that like or, or these shorthanded teams where the starters seem to come out and act like they didn't have to play basketball that night to get a win. You know, it, it seems like the the younger players are the only ones that are really giving a hundred percent effort on every single night. But my thing with Randall, as far as Tibbs is concerned is, uh, you know, Randall's performance this year has not been good, uh, which we'll get into in the next segment. So I'm, so I'm not going to like, like get too deep into that as far as the Randall question, but I do worry that if Tibbs has the ability to lead a star heavy roster, that's not specifically his guys that are super bought in. You know what I mean? Like obviously Derek Rose was super bought in to Tibbs and always has been and always will be. And that's why he's like Tibbs forever favorite player. But, you know, in situations where, you know, he doesn't have a superstar like that, which I, I thought Julius Randle was a superstar like that, but clearly he isn't. It seems like he has a really hard time holding a star player to the same level that he holds, you know, every other player to. And I think that if you want a coach that can bring you to the next level, you need a guy that can treat the stars as if they're just another player. And I don't know if Tibbs does that because it seems like he gives a lot, way too much leniency to his top tier players compared to his, his quote unquote lower tier players, you know, like his, his rookies, his sophomores, his, his younger guys that have less playing time. And, you know, in a normal situation that might work, but, and it worked certainly like last year, but this year Randall has proven that he maybe needs to be reeled in a little bit more and Tibbs hasn't been doing that. And those are the sort of things like the, the leader of men qualities, you know, I guess are the, are the ones that are starting to kind of worry me about Tibbs. In addition to some of the procedural stuff, like after timeout plays looking sloppy, um, you know, the team still being bamboozled by zones and things like that on a consistent basis. There are other things that kind of, you know, perk my ears up and, and get me a little, you know, hesitant about Tibbs going forward. But I think the biggest thing is the can, you know, even despite what everybody says in interviews and stuff, it, can he lead a group of guys that have real aspirations right now? And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think that based off how things went in Minnesota and how they're going in New York, that maybe that's not necessarily a given. But, Tom, how do you, how do you feel about that, about, like, the leadership quality aspect of it all? Um, well, it's tricky because I think when you look at when and where Tibbs has been successful in the past, his teams have always had this very sound identity, and it really does come from the defensive end in particular. Last year is a great example of that. Yes, the offense – revolved around Julius, but that team won games because of its defense primarily. That was the same deal with Derrick Rose for those Chicago Bulls teams. When when Derrick Rose was the MVP that season, he was the best offensive player on that team, but it was those Bulls defenses that won them so many games. Um, and, and so I think that like this, when this roster, 
decided to, to turn over from that more defensive focused uh, identity to bringing in Fournier and Kemba and guys like that. I think it, it put Tibbs in sort of a tough spot because it's just, that's out of his comfort zone to, to coach a, a team that is less focused on the defensive end of the ball. And so, you know, I, I do get the, the questions as to whether Tibbs is the right guy for this roster, but like, is this roster made up of the right guys for this organization is also a fair question too. Um, you know, I, I don't begrudge Tibbs for sticking with Randall for as long as he has so far, only because last year was such a success and there was so much positive reinforcement. He won coach of the year for it. Randall was a huge reason for that. So I, I get this notion of like, we just got to unlock Julius. We have a larger sample size last year of what Julius was able to do than the 30 some odd games we've had this season. The problem is just the entire energy and vibe around the team feels so different. And a lot of that becomes, it stems from Julius's just sort of frust- his very evident frustration. His, his, everyone's always noting his body language and there's a reason for it. Like it, he just is playing very uninspired, you know, just very dour basketball. It just, it really infects the rest of the team. Um, I think that one thing that like those who blame, I, I saw on Twitter today, someone blaming Thibodeau for Julius's struggles saying they, uh, he, you know, wore him down that he's ground him into the, you know, he's playing too many minutes. And, you know, then there are others who are blaming Julius Randall for just a lack of effort. You know, we see him, you know, get up for these, nationally televised games and and not so much for these lesser games. Um, I think that one thing that we can all agree on is that for both sides, Julius should just be playing fewer minutes. Like that kind of takes care of the whole, we're, you know, running him into the ground argument and that he's not playing well enough. Like just playing Julius 30 minutes a game. I think he can still be the guy while he's on the floor and it just kind of, he can give more effort when he's out there. Um, And so I think that's kind of the, the next evolution of what we're hopefully going to see going forward is, you know, Tibo is going to see what's working, what's not working and begin to make these changes now, because it's really hard to, to look at what's happened so far this season and just kind of discount it. All right. We're going to take our first break and just take a moment to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. I know I'm certainly a victim of of, you know, getting one of these new video streaming services because they have something I want to watch and then realizing later on that I've still been subscribed to them for another three months and have watched all of one thing on them. So Truebill definitely has been a big help to me in that regard, keeping me on my toes as far as where my money's going every month. Truebill has over 2 million users and helped save them over $100 million so far. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. 
it can save you thousands a year. Truebuild.com slash locked on MBA. Yeah, I think, well, and, and let's just be clear, this leads into our second big question. We're touching on our second big question. Is Julius Randle worth planning around? I think an interesting way to examine that would be to try him with some different lineups, right? And and put him in different contexts and see, all right, how much is that shaping his success? Because my my source of optimism for Julius going into the season was his context last year was, I, at least I thought, objectively pretty bad, right? Like he's playing with, with no other creators. He's playing with a center parked near the basket. And he, he transcended that context because he turned himself into an elite high volume mid-range shooter and for a power forward and elite three-point shooter. And now that that shooting has gone away, even though the talent around him is is probably better this year, despite Kemba's struggles at the beginning of the year, despite Fournier's struggles at the beginning of the year, it's still at least as good as what you had last year, if not better than Alfred Payton and Reggie Bullock. Um, and the center's the same and RJ Barrett's the same, but he's, he's just has not been the same guy. So I, I've kind of wondered, like, you maybe play him with the bench a little bit more and you, and you, and, and in turn, you get more time with Obi Toppin with the starters. And I wonder if there's something to be said for, for balancing like all the energy and verb of the bench with some of the stagnation of the starting lineup and, and putting Julius in a context, I think where he feels less responsibility, even if he doesn't have less responsibility, that could, that could mean shooting more, that could mean shooting less, but it's, it's overthinking to me when, when, when I, when I watch him this year and it's being so, so far in his head and it feels like he goes into most games. And he even said on the Christmas game, like, like someone asked him, what's the difference? And he was like, oh, I was, I was feeling good today. Like, and I don't even think he meant he was feeling good about his shot. I think he just meant he was emotionally feeling good. And it feels like he goes into all these games like, and, and misses his first shot. And he's like, all right, here we go again. And it just creates this cascading downward spiral. I think, I mean, the best way to, maybe this is getting into like, uh, like pop psychology, but like the best, the best way to like change a habit is to like, operate in a new context. And I think that would be the single best thing Tibbs could do for him going forward. But Alex, that's sort of short-term thinking, I I guess is Julius's play this year. And and we had this conversation a few weeks ago where where you and I talked about his contract and I was sort of like, I guess there's like a scenario where it's like not great now. And and, and you were like, no, 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 it's still, it's still good. And I kind of curious, do you still believe that? And, and do you believe the bigger version of the question that Julius Randall should be taken into account in the next future plans, or if there's a right move that kind of contradicts him, they, they should probably make it. Well, I, yeah. So I think, I think as far as like his contract is concerned, I still think it's very movable. You know, I still think that you could talk some team into, Hey, this is your second or third star, you know, look at the production that he put up prior to getting this extension. And like, it's an affordable contract for a second or third star. I mean, he's not making, He's not making John Wall or Russell Westbrook money. So if you ever, if I still stand by, like if you ever have to move Julius Randle, you could do it like the next day if you really want to do it um, and get, you know, some sort of return for him because teams aren't going to look at him as like an overwhelmingly negative asset. That said, I did pull just a couple stats that I found really concerning. Um, according to basketball reference, he, he makes the Knicks, 22.4 points wor- worse, according to his on-off rating. Uh, that's via the fact that they are six points worse than opponents when he's on the floor and 16 points better than opponents when he's off the floor, which you know sort of goes with the whole starting lineup woes, but it's it, it's inescapable to, to put some of the starting lineup stuff on him because he is supposed to be the, the leader of that unit. That's what he signed up for. That's what the team signed up for. So, you know right or wrong, a lot of that that burden falls on him. 
He's also he's taken a big step back in his three point percentage this year, uh, like much bigger than I thought, and Gavin probably even bigger than you thought when we we talked about that earlier in the season. Uh, back down in the the low thirties territory. His field goal percentage though is also the lowest of his career, despite his usage being down by two points this year, which does not bode well either. Uh, and then you know I guess my last thing as far as the question about whether he's worth planning around is that self admittedly he's not a vocal leader. And that would be fine if he was still leading by example on the court, but it seems like he doesn't treat games against non-top 10 opponents or non-national, you know, nationally broadcast games, whatever, as important. And, you know, that is such a stark contrast from last year when the Knicks really approached every single game as if it was the last game in the world uh, most nights. So, Tom, where are you at on this question? Do you think Julius Randle is, is worth planning around? Or do you think that, you know, the Knicks should be open to the idea of a, a potential future where Randall's not sort of the one of the main core pieces of this team? Yeah, I think, you know, in the immediate, you're just you're not going to sell low on Randall at this point. Like this is just the lowest his value could be. I, I do think you'd probably have to give something up to get off his contract at this point, despite it not being that high of a number. Like he's just been that much of a negative this season and it's just it wouldn't make sense to trade him right now I mean I guess the question I don't know if you guys have discussed it but the the, the possibility of a Ben Simmons for Julius Randle swap I think it's very intriguing um, you know we haven't seen Simmons play this year we really haven't seen him since he passed up that dunk over Trey Young in the playoffs so that's kind of the last sort of thing we, we have to, to go by but I mean Look, Simmons is a great defensive player. He's a great passer, facilitator, rebounder. Like there, are, there are positives to his play. There are also I, I'm I'm just like more open to that discussion than I think a lot of fans would be. Um, but my main thing is you really do have to just rehab Randall's value, and I, I think that as I mentioned, part of that is playing him fewer minutes so that he has the the energy to to really get after it while he's in the game. And, and kind of reinforce that, like make that a habit that he has to play hard while he's out there. To your point, Alex Tibbs hasn't really held him accountable in that way this season. Um, it, it's it's a, it's a tricky question. I just don't really know what the immediate alternative is. My, my concern with getting Randall minutes with that second unit is that, you know, the beauty of the bench is that they play with such a, togetherness and a continuity and it's it's a situation where if even one you know link in that chain is broken that that's not gonna it's not gonna work it's not gonna look like the bench unit we know um i don't know if you guys saw in in macri's uh newsletter this morning he he put out a table of kind of how each rotation player has done from a net rating perspective with julius randall on the floor and every single player is better without Randall. I mean, and some of the, it, it's just a very stark contrast when, when these guys are playing with Randall versus without him. Um, so, you know, even guys like Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly are, you know, Obi Toppin is still 14 points per hundred possessions better without Randall quickly nine, over 19 points per hundred possessions better without Randall. Um, it, it's just, these are the guys who, when we talk about the bench unit, the, 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 this is who comes to mind, right? They're the identity of that bench unit. Alec Burks. Some of these numbers look fake. <laughs> Alec Burks with Randall 
minus 7.7 points per 100 possessions. Alec Burks without Randall, plus 16.4 points per 100 possessions. Like these sound like cartoonish numbers. Um, so it, it it's just going to really come down. This sounds so reductive and basic. It's going to come down to Randall just hitting some shots. Like we've seen him turn around to an extent, I think, in his past – you know, through the first, call it 20 games of the season, Randall was shooting just under 30% on catch-and-shoot threes. And if you look at the last 10 to 12 games, that number's up to about 38% on a little bit higher volume. So he's become more becoming more willing to shoot these catch-and-shoot threes. Um, I, I don't think you would know it based on last night's game, but the the trend is is going in the right direction. And so I just think that we've seen Randall at his worst – through these 30 games. And I, I just have to believe that he's going to bounce back. Once he starts shooting the ball better, it's all connected. It's like that, that pop psychology you're talking about, Gavin, like he just, he gets the energy. Once he sees the ball go through the net, he plays a little bit better defense. He sets a screen. Like he's, he's more willing to play as a part of a unit when he sees the ball go in. And I just, I do think that even marginally his his numbers are going to go up he's not going to continue to shoot this poorly and so because of that he's his value will rehab over time and uh and if you want to move him at that point i think that's when the discussion needs to be had but before then at this point and like, kind of like his nadir of his value it's it's not really worth discussing yeah i think i think my case for for playing him with the bench it's uh, i guess to to use pandemic terminology was like oh maybe the bench could infect him with, with their passing and unselfishness and your counterpoint which is probably true is like no randall would infect them with his randomness and that's it's probably right because i think so often we want to assume the best in in players and i know uh kevin o'connor is always talking about russell westbrook and he's been he's been literally doing this for i guess i guess five years now with with the ringer and saying you know if russ could only embrace being a role player like he's as zach Lowe says this a lot too like he he has so much like speed he could be like this fantastic backdoor cutter and if he just cut threes out of his game and just like really focus on like attacking the rim and being a facilitator like there's a hyper efficient guy in there and yet like russell westbrook 15 or so years into his career is russell westbrook Julius Randle, like six or seven years into his career, is probably Julius Randle. And it's it's a shame because, again, like you see this guy like and you just say, all right, if he just focused on like like last night, like he had that spectacular like backdoor cut off of R.J. Barrett. And I was thinking like, wow, I've almost like I really don't think he's done that very often this year. But he's so deadly, like this 250 pound guy who's this really creative finisher around the room who can who can put in like a double pump. Or if you like shoot down with a double, like he could throw like a great short roll pass in that situation. Um, but that's not that's not really what he wants to do. He wants to camp out at like 17 feet, take one dribble and shoot a fadeaway. And I, I guess like my case for playing with the bench is like, oh, maybe he would see that it's so fun to play this. It's so fun to cut. It's so fun to hit three point shooters because sometimes he does embrace that. But he really typically only embraces it on his own terms. He wants to hit a three point shooter because he bullied a defender and drew a double team. And he's like, I made that happen all by myself. And at a certain point, you just got to say, all right, this guy is who he is. What's the best context for him to operate? And to your point, Tom, that's literally just whether or not he makes shots. So maybe, maybe, maybe that's just some radical acceptance that I need. But that's probably the story on Julius Randle. But Alex, you want to you want to get into our third and final question here? 
All right, it's about that time. Let's take our second break. I wanted to tell all of you about Bet Online. They have you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. As football continues, it's March through college bowl season and the pro football playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked on to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC. Right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. So don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah. So our third question, and this one is more open ended. So we'll each have our own answer here. And Tom, you being the guest, I'll roll out the red carpet for your your take on this first. What player or narrative are you most interested in for the rest of the year? And for me, this is an easy one. It's it's RJ Barrett and and his role on this team going forward. I know like RJ isn't the most exciting young guy on this roster, right? He doesn't have like IQ's swagger or Obi's kind of joy. Or even, or even like Grimes' smoothness, like watching him shoot is just like a thing of beauty. And, and Deuce kind of has that bulldog mentality where he gets into guys' jerseys. Everyone kind of has these defining characteristics and traits. RJ, I wouldn't really say has that, right? He, and I think that part of, for that reason, he can be a little bit, you know, a, you know, a little bit boring to, to watch as a, as a player. Like his, per, he doesn't have a huge personality, right? He's a basketball player, but. I still love him. I really do. And I, I think that, you know, if you look at how he was used last season, I just put a video out on, on Twitter about this, how every, on nearly every first play of the game last year was the same play. And it was to get RJ going downhill to his left, to his strong hand. You guys remember it was kind of that, you know, dribble handoff with Julius Randle into a pick and roll with the center and, you know, it, it didn't even work that much. You're probably thinking, you're watching, you're like, why do they keep running the same play to open every game when it's not that effective? Um, and it was really to get RJ comfortable with the ball in his hands. Like, yes, partly because Alfred Payton was the point guard, but, you know, there were other guys to run offense through last year, uh, namely Julius. But it was like the, last year was such a priority to get RJ comfortable making plays for himself and others getting downhill this year, the emphasis hasn't really been there as much, right? He's, he's taking a lot more catch-and-shoot attempts. He's driving the ball about four to five times few, fewer, less times uh, per game. He's, run, he's finishing plays as the pick-and-roll ball handler a lot less than he was last year. So he's really he, – he hasn't been, like, relegated to this non-contributor role. If you look, he's taking the second-most field goal attempts uh, per game on the team. He has, still has the second-highest usage on the, on the team, but – the way he's getting those shots is very different. And I'm sure it's very different than the context he's been in his entire career. So I'm curious to see, you know, there are still bright spots to, to RJ running the show. He has the best chemistry with Mitchell Robinson on the team. I looked at the stat and he is leading the team in assists to Mitchell Robinson, despite throwing him like the sixth most passes on the team. Like he, that, that chemistry is a real thing between he and Mitch. Um, and so, and we even saw it last night with, with RJ throwing a lob to, to Mitchell Robinson. So I'm just very curious to see how his role, whether it will continue to regress as kind of more of a standstill 
or a, a movement shooter even, or if he's going to play more with the ball in his hands. Because RJ's development is probably the biggest narrative for this organization long term. Yeah, I so that actually leads pretty nicely into mine because I also highlighted RJ on this. You know, despite everything else going on with the team, obviously yeah. I, I think that he's priority one right now. You know, if you figure him out, then other things can start taking shape you know what i mean like so if you figure him out and you can get him to the point where he looks like a superstar like earlier this year then suddenly you could start having those conversations about is julius randall a necessity on this team or you know is to you know so many questions i think that we've already asked can can also be answered with well what happens with rj barrett how does he turn out you know and that can affect so many things and just sort of like send the Knicks on whatever course they're going to be on because you could, you could reasonably turn yourself into an exciting young team where you sort of pivot and go, okay, you know what? We're going to lean into the youth here rather than the vets and just kind of let the youth play more. And that'll make the team better while also giving us like a nice bright future. Um, so there's definitely something to be said for that. But like my big question was more, will RJ course correct? Um, his, his stats are pretty much a carbon copy of his rookie year at the moment. Uh, he has a slightly worse overall field goal percentage than his rookie year right now, despite a better three point percentage that tells us, obviously he's not shooting as well inside the three point line, uh, as he did even as a rookie. And, and that's a problem. Um, the one that he definitely needs to fix. I mean, we saw even in last night's game against the Pistons against, uh, you know, an objectively horrendous team. Uh, he missed a couple of relatively bunny layups, and it makes you think, like, where's this guy that was that was contorting his body and, you know, finishing through contact and just sort of always finding the angle no matter where he was earlier this year? And, you know, maybe some of it still rust from having COVID after apparently having this, like, stomach bug that plagued him for a while, which I've never heard of a month-long stomach bug, but apparently that was a thing for him. Um you know, maybe it is, but at a certain point, you know, we got to start seeing better shooting around the rim for him and all that stuff. And then, you know, it mostly just were these flashes that we saw earlier this year. I mean, Gavin and I were freaking out earlier this year after, in particular, that Pelicans game, you know, just being like, oh, my God, he's, you know, this this is it. RJ's breaking out. The Knicks have their second star right here. You know, it's it's RJ Barrett. He and Julius Randle are going to be so good for so long. You know, this team is great. And, you know, then it just sort of petered out and he went back to his inconsistent self and has now been mired in another one of these, like, like at this point, 25 game shooting slumps, you know? And it seems like every year is sort of low-lighted by one of these slumps. And I guess the, the big thing that has categorized his career so far as being able to break out of those slumps uh, and, and finish the year really strong. So we'll see if he could do that this year, but I think we're going to need to see more out of him to end this year than we did to see, than we saw at the end of last year when he shot 45% from three, mostly was a spot up guy. As you said, Tom, you know, I actually just looked this stat up the other day for someone. Uh, I was talking to someone in our YouTube comments that was like, because we had floated the idea of, oh, maybe it's a better idea to start Grimes in place of RJ, not in place of Fournier like he did out of necessity last night, but in place of RJ, and then stagger RJ a little more with the bench unit. Because, you know, as we just said with Julius with the bench unit, maybe that doesn't solve anything because it would just kind of be like Julius would 
put his Juliusness on the bench unit because he's sort of the, you know, the guy that no matter who he's playing with, it's going to be about him. Whereas if you put RJ with the bench unit, maybe maybe that frees him a little bit from the the struggles right now of playing with Julius Randle and allows him to operate more as a primary ball handler and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I'm that's that's basically where I'm at with RJ. Like, I think that he needs to he, he needs to just find a little more freedom to his game. I think just like Gavin, what you were talking about with with Randall, things are definitely difficult for him out there and definitely seem mental um, as much as they are physical. And so if both the Knicks top guys could find ways to be more comfortable on the court and start finding their rhythm earlier on in games and stuff like that, and maybe that means running that pet pistol set again, Tom, like like you said, like he, he ran that. With Noel, it was obviously a risky proposition, but they still ran it anyway. But with Mitch, that was a legitimately deadly play to start last year. They would open almost every game with a lob to Mitch from RJ, and that would get both those guys going. So maybe prioritizing that more with RJ is the answer. Uh, but I've gone on long enough. Gavin, what is your answer to the the big player or narrative that you're watching for the rest of the year? Well, we, we clearly should have discussed this beforehand. His mind was also about RJ Barrett. <laughs> um, it works yeah, out kind of good, right? It, it's yeah. telling that this was our our main thought. You know, other if when left to our own devices, this was like the first thing that comes to mind because I think it's so important. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty similar to the Julius conversation, right? Like RJ Barrett dictates where the Knicks are as a franchise. This is the guy that you were staking everything on when when you when you got that third pick because the Knicks uh due to a combination of incompetent suckage where, where they're always bad but never quite bad enough and uh poor lottery luck uh they, they never get a chance at those guys uh they haven't struck gold when they've picked somewhere between five and ten over the years and then even with the RJ pick now uh not to not to toot my own horn but at the time I was like oh, you know I kind of like Darius Garland a little bit more we're, we're, we're getting to a point where that's that's sort of like this I mean, not like a franchise changing what if maybe, but like a, a pretty big deal potentially. And the Knicks are still, I think, operating from this perspective or, or at least like popular consensus a lot of times is they're operating from this perspective that RJ Barrett is sort of the crown jewel. He's the guy you 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 potentially build around. Um, he he is the, the number one prospect on this team. And if he's just not that person and we have two and a half years of evidence now that like, I mean, for my money, that his ultimate destiny is maybe just being a good a good starter on a good team, which there's there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's an extremely valuable dude. That's someone who's probably worth a lot of money, and it, it still feels too early to say that because he's still really young. He's probably been sick a lot of this year. We talked about context with Julius. I'd argue like the context for helping RJ succeed has never really been all that great. But all that being said, we haven't seen any indicator that there's that upside there. And if you're the Knicks, you kind of have to. I, I don't know what you have to do, but you have to operate differently if you if you can just objectively acknowledge like odds are um, outside of like Randall having a resurgence in the next two seasons. Like we probably don't have a future all star on this roster. Like who knows what quickly turns into who knows what Obi turns into. Maybe Grimes or Deuce is, is more potential than we think. But R.J. Barrett is the number one guy in that conversation because he's the only guy with that pedigree. And we've mostly seen, again, who knows if it's illness or not, but regression from him this year. I mean, he went from someone who was in the 32nd percentile um, in, in mid-range efficiency last year to the 16th percentile this year, the 78th percentile in three-point percentage um, to the 31st percentile in three-point percentage. He's actually up at the rim from the 24th percentile to the 32nd percentile. 
but that's not enough. Like we, we have just not seen any indicator that he can be not even a guy, but a guy at this point. And that, that has to be worrisome and that has to change your calculus going forward. Yeah. I mean, going back to those, those on off numbers, RJ Barrett with Julius Randall, the net rating is minus 5.7 RJ Barrett without Julius Randall is plus 13. So like we, in the, in the spurts that we've seen Barrett play with that, you know, I kind of use non-Julius minutes as a proxy for the bench. Um, that's been very successful for this team. I, I think it is telling that Barrett just hasn't really developed much chemistry with Randall. We, we saw last year Randall do that, that two-man game a lot with Bullock, and this year it's been uh, Fournier. Like, you, you see those kind of empty side pick and rolls, the, the pick and pops between Fournier and Randall. You really don't see that with Barrett and Randall, which is strange because Barrett is a shooter. Like he's, he can kind of do a lot of those things that you'd expect Fournier to do and he can make plays. So it's just very strange that we haven't even like seen many attempts at that kind of chemistry, considering those are the two guys who play the most minutes on the team. It's, um, it's kind of perplexing. It does show almost this kind of on court. I don't want to call it a rift, but come some sort of schism between the two where there's just not a lot of synergy between those two guys. And it's a huge issue when those are your two guys with the highest usage rates on the team. Um, but yeah, I think we're all in agreement here that, that Barrett's progression or stagnation or reg- even regression is the, is the biggest storyline going forward for this team. Yeah. And that's, that's as good a note as any to wrap this one up on, uh, you know, the, the, the Lots of big questions still abounding for the Knicks. And like I said, it's it's weird because it feels like we should be celebrating right now, three straight wins. But I feel like all, all these wins have been doing is raising more questions. <laughs> it's like the, the better the Knicks do in subpar performances against really bad teams, the, the more we have to think things over. But anyway, Tom, do you want to let everybody know where to find you and your work again uh, You know, on Twitter and, and the Talking Knicks pod and all that good stuff? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo. I did just put out a video just like an hour ago about RJ Barrett and his role in this team, where I talked a lot about this stuff as well with some videos mixed in. Uh, Two, you can listen to me at Talking Knicks. Uh, find the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's part of the John Boy Media Network. And yeah, no, appreciate you guys having me on as always. Thanks of so course. Much. Thanks for coming on. And uh, this has been Locked On Knicks. We'll be back one more episode this week. Game recap after tonight's game. Uh, so everybody, happy new year, though, if you, if we don't uh, talk to you until the new year. And uh, thanks so much, Tom, again, for coming on. And we will talk to you all soon. Peace out.